All right, well, just us. Uh, go ahead and open up your scriptures to Mark chapter 11. Uh, that's where we will be today. Um, pretty awesome. It's uh, pretty good. So we've got one straggler. That's the, that's the preacher's kid. He's awesome at obedience. So Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Um, so uh, pray for me. I'm a little distracted this morning. Um, so just uh, I found myself stuttering <laughs> even this morning. So it may be a long day, but that's okay. We're going to open up God's word because we know that it's strong and it's real and it's active and it's vocal. And so what we'll do, we'll just stand on it this morning, okay? Oh, that'll be good. Um, all right, so uh, Mark chapter 11. Uh, this is, we're continuing in a series called The Descent into Greatness, uh, where we, we're walking through the gospel of Mark, where we see the Mark continuing to point us to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you want a lot in this world, if you want to be great in this world, if you want to be first in this world, it is not by ascending to greatness. Instead, it's descending into greatness. And so the first... And the greatest is actually going to have to be last. And that's hard for us, isn't it? To be last, to be in last place. I'm a very competitive person. I don't like to be last. But Jesus says, yeah, if you're going to be first, you actually have to be last. And if you're going to be great, you actually have to be servant of all. And so Jesus is pounding this theme of servants and giving our lives for others. Because what he is doing is charting a path for us. Um, so to give us an illustration, uh, first and foremost, uh, let me tell you a little bit about a plant called the fiddle leaf fig. All right? So y'all say it with me, fiddle leaf fig. That's right, the fiddle leaf fig. No, no, if you're a guy in here, um, you've probably never heard of these things. I'm embarrassed to know that I know these three words because um, there's a lady. Her name is Joanna Gaines, and everything that she touches turns to gold, and everything that she touches ends up at Target, and we all buy them. So those are the types of things that happen because she's an interior decorator, and she says, hey, this is awesome. And we go, yes, it is. I want one. So she has touched this thing called a fiddle leaf fig, and all of female Lanaka or whatever that is, all the female species have shifted their eyes to whatever Joanna's touching and she's, she's saying, this thing is great. And so here's the problem with the fiddle leaf fig. It's great, it's wonderful, it's cantankerous, it needs a little bit of extra touches and those types of things. It needs sunlight and all those types of things. It can be overwatered, underwatered, you know, it's just a typical house plant. But here's the real problem with a fiddle leaf fig. Um, there are no fiddles on this plant and there are no flowers on this plant and there are no figs on this plant it is a fiddle leaf fig by name only and that's a little bit of a problem because if we know fig trees they're known for the fruit that they produce right and so if you look at an apple tree you don't say that's an apple leaf tree. It's known for its apples, right? And an orange tree is known for its oranges. Pear trees are known for its pears. And I mean, just it goes on and on and on. That's what fruit trees do, except for this thing is just pretty. And it's just leafy. And it just does its thing, right? Because it's by name only. And that's the point of today is it's by name only. 
we're about to walk into a text in which Jesus is going to produce the only miracle of destruction. And we're actually going to see or we're going to hear Jesus give us two illustrations this morning. So far, all of his miracles, right, have been restorative. You've heard of the blind man. Guess what? He receives his sight. You've heard the lame man. Guess what? He gets up and he walks away. Those with leprosy actually are healed. People with evil spirits, they are cast away over and over and over. Jesus is restoring people uh, back to health. Today, we're going to see something different. We're actually going to see destruction rather than reconstruction. And he's doing this for a reason. And you know what the reason is? It's because of leafiness. It's because people look some way on the outside and they don't do their job. It all comes down to leafiness. This morning, uh, Jesus is going to just is gonna do two things for us. He's going to judge us and he's going to teach us. And so let's read this passage of scripture together in light of that, that Jesus will come alongside us this morning and he will judge us and he will teach us. This is Mark chapter 11, verses 12 and following. This is the word of God. Now on the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. Now for just to pause real quick, what you need to know is that on the following day, this is now Monday of Passion Week. You remember last week we talked about Palm Sunday because that was the first day of what is called Passion Week. This is the first day of the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry because on Friday he's going to die a gruesome death on, on the cross. And so when it says the following day, you need to know that this is Monday of Passion Week. This is the second day of Passion Week. And uh, and he's, he's in Bethany because he's going to and from this place called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the headquarters of all Jewishness, of all Hebrewness, of all is, uh, Israeli thought. Or, like, so that's the heart of all of Israel is there in Jerusalem. And he's about to visit the, the temple. So when it says the following day, this is the second day of Passion Week. This is Monday. They came from Bethany. He's leaving his headquarters and he's heading back to Jerusalem. And he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Illustration number two. Then they came to Jerusalem and they entered the temple. And he began to drive out those who sold. And he began to drive out those who bought in the temples. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. And he's also overturning the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it, pointing at them, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes, they heard it and they heard it clearly. And they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because, because all the crowd was astonished at the teaching. 
And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is Jesus. And what he is doing this morning is he is judging us clearly and fully and completely. And he's judging you and me and he's judging all the religious leaders. And he's judging the crowd and he's looking at at us and he's saying, you are nothing but leaves. And that's the main idea of this passage is that he's looking at a crowd of people, of very religious people who've just sung Hosanna and said, you're nothing but leaves. This is Jesus. I mean, just 24 hours, if not 12 hours ago, this is Jesus on a donkey with people cutting off branches and laying cloaks and singing Hosanna. Save us, save us, O one of David. They're singing these things because they're believing in him. He's going to save them, right? And so this is Jesus carrying on the journey. And this is his very next step, the very next day. So what's he going to do first? This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the King. We've already held him. What's going to be his very first action in in, in office? In presidential terms, uh, all modern presidents have been judged by what's called the first hundred days. And so this, what they're able to accomplish in the first hundred days of office will actually point to the trajectory of their entire term. And so what happens first is very, very significant. And so what do we see Jesus doing first? What's his very first action as king and Messiah? What's he able to step into? The very first thing he does, he wakes up on Monday morning, he's walking two miles back into Jerusalem, and what's the first thing we see? The Messiah, the King, the Savior, the reigning one, the one who we're singing to, what's he doing? He's talking to a plant. Crazy cakes, right? This is the Savior's first action as King, crowned King, and he's talking to a plant. He's talking to foliage and he's actually using a personal pronoun. No one will ever eat of you. He's personifying it. I mean, we have lost, I mean, we have fallen off the wagon, people. This is how he is wanting to walk into his messianic kingdom. What is going on? Crazy, right? This is such, this passage is such a stumbling block that scholars have looked to Jesus because of these verses and saying he's untrustworthy or he's at least manic or some type, some kind of ill-tempered or something like that. One scholar actually said that he is acting like a petulant child. I've never even used that phrase. That's amazing though, but they're pointing to Jesus and going, what is going on with Jesus? And so we did some digging this week and we figured out what exactly is going on in this moment and this fig tree and cursing this thing. And so we have to look at some, some, some symbolism in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, over and over and over, we hear of the fig tree. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when they use the word fig tree, it's oftentimes synonymous or a symbol for the nation of Israel. And so oftentimes the prophets would talk about this fig tree and talk to it as if we lived inside the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? And so he just used an illustration or symbolism. And so fig tree is synonymous with God's people. But oftentimes it wasn't just that he was using the fig tree to talk about Israel. It often was aligned with a curse 
or some kind of destructive language in which Jesus or which God would actually look to the fig tree and, and curse the fig tree because it was barren. And so now things should be clicking inside your, 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 your mind because what Jesus is doing, he's not just seeing a fig tree in the, in, in, in the foreground. He's actually looking at a symbol of Israel and saying that is what is going on. And Jesus, knowing that it's springtime, this is April, this is, you know, this is March, somewhere in the springtime, he knows this is not the season for figs. And yet he walks up to this fig tree and curses it and says, no one will ever eat of you again. So did he get the seasons wrong? What, what's, what's going on? So again, to understand the symbolism of, of, of the Old Testament is important, but it's also important to understand a little bit of horticulture, horticulture. I'll do a little husbandry here. Let's talk a little bit about plants. So we understand the symbolism of the Old Testament. Now let's just look at plants, you know, Herbology 101 or something like that. So the fig tree blossoms and blooms and produces figs. That's just what they do. The problem is, is they harv- we harvest in, in, in the harvest season, in late August, uh, October, those, those types of places. So deep into the fall. And then it loses its leaf and it's just, it winterizes for the rest of the winter. Well, sometime in the winter months, there's these little nodules, right? These little knops or these pagums that form on the stem of, of a fig bush or a fig tree. And so when we get to the spring, the the thing that bursts forth first is the leaf. But what's been there the longest are these little knops or these little nodules or what's called a pagum. And so these little knops are actually going to be like, like underdeveloped figs. And so when Jesus is walking towards something that looks very healthy and looks like it's in bloom, he simply lifts up the leaf and he looks at the branch, assuming that he's going to find all of these little nodules or these premature figs. It's leafed out and he's going to be able to find these things. But when he approaches this this tree, what does he find? He lifts the leaf and he finds he doesn't find anything. And so this is significant. One is that it kind of helps us with this text. But two, to understand the Old Testament really is going, uh, there is something going on here. Jesus says here in verse 12, it says that he was hungry. He's starting the symbolism even in verse 12. And he says that he is hungry or to put it in our time, or to put it in our kind of vernacular. He was spiritually in need, or he was in need of something from that bush, or if he was in need, or if he was in need of something, some kind of spiritual nourishment from Israel, he would lift a leaf and find nothing there. And so it was in his weakness and in his need, if he was going to rely on the nation of Israel, he would come up really, really short. We are being under, people were being under fulfilled by the, the house of God. And so the leaves, they're amazing. They, I mean, we need, they need to attract the sun or they need to attract things from its surroundings. We know that leaves are good and essential and useful However, that's not the point of a fig tree. 
The, fig, the point of the fig tree is not to have big, beautiful leaves, but to actually produce fruit. And that is what, what is not happening here. The leaf is only good to nourish the tree. And so no one's saying that the leaf is not good or not essential or not useful. It's just that the leaf has one job, right? It's to make sure that the, the, um, that the stem is healthy and good. What Jesus is telling us here is that you can look amazing on the outside, but not do what you're supposed to do. You can look the part and yet your purpose in life go unfulfilled. That you can do all types of things that look good and might be good and yet lack fruit. Because the point of the leaf is for the tree itself. But what's the point of fruit? The point of fruit is to bless others point of fruit is to bring nourishment to others. The point of fruit is to bring sweetness to others. The point of fruit is to actually produce a seed that will produce more plants. So the leaf, as good as it is, it stays stationary and strong and good, and yet it has no multiplication strategy. That comes, and the true blessing comes for the thing that actually gets picked and transferred to others. And so what Jesus is saying is, Israel, look at yourself. You're only taking care of yourself. You're no good to the outside world because you're so self-focused. And so he's also looking at the church, and he's looking at your heart and mine, and he's begging us, do not be a leaf. You are built to produce. You're built to bring beauty. You're built to bring nourishment and sweetness and seeds to the world. He's looking to an establishment, the nation of Israel, and saying, if I was in need, I could not find it here. The nation of Israel has ceased to do what it's called to do. But then he goes on and he talks a little bit about the temple. And he says, he came to Jerusalem. And so this is their second picture. And he entered the temple and he began, began to drive out those who were sold and, and those who bought in, in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Our second destructive picture is that Jesus has like moved from cursing a plant to moving to inside like central, Israel and he's turning over tables and he's driving people out, their coins going everywhere. He's shouting, he's driving potentially with a whip at this point. Tables and chairs are being thrown, livestock are running. I mean, it is a mass chaos. And Jesus is the one creating the chaos. He's the one in the middle of the chaos and he's driving and tipping over again for a reason. Why do we have Jesus acting in such a way? Because if Israel had a heartbeat, you would find it in the temple. You would find it inside the temple. And what Jesus does here is he goes inside the temple and he goes berserk because what he finds is not its purpose. What he finds is leaves only, nothing but leaves. We're here in the temple 
There's a court called the Court of Gentiles. To put it in perspective, I mean, the, the, the Temple Mount is massive. It's like 525 yards long. I mean, it's just something that you just, I mean, we can't really fathom, you know, something like that in the middle of a desert. You really can't. And so the temple is amazing. The first thing that you step into is called the Court of Gentiles. It is so massive. It's 35 acres large, right? So just think about a slab of concrete, 35 acres. And this was 2,000 years ago. It was enormous. So the first thing that Jesus does is he walks into this place called the Court of Gentiles. And he's looking around. And he's, 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 he's troubled because this is the only place that Gentiles are able to worship God because there are barriers and they just continue to be more and more selective until you get into the Holy of Holies. And so there's a place for Gentiles, and women and priests, and it just continues to get more and more exclusive. And so if you were a Gentile, you only had this open area. But when he walks into the court of Gentiles, what does he find? He finds money changers and he finds uh, uh, all, all these, these people trading and selling and all kinds of stuff. They're doing business and doing commerce right here in a place that should be a place of worship. And why is this so troublesome? It's troublesome because God's temple, God's place, this place of worship is for worship, not commerce. Here's the problem. Up until that day, all of this trading, right? You needed to turn your denarii into a shekel and you needed to buy a pigeon or a lamb. I mean, you just, you needed to do something. All of this was done outside of the Temple Mount, except for this week. This week is called Passover. This is when every good Jew would leave his home or her home or their home, either travel as a man, as a couple, or as a family and descend upon Jerusalem. And each of these families were required to buy one lamb. And so all of this was supposed to be done outside the Temple Mount, except for this week. There was nothing that happens inside the temple that was not allowed by the priests, by the scribes, the people that were in charge of the place. And for this specific week, out of convenience, they bring all of the show into the Temple Mount. And where do they place all of the show? inside the court of the Gentiles because it was the biggest, most spacious. And so the scribes and the religious leaders, they have literally turned the temple of God into a cattle show or into a stockyard. And there's clamoring and all kinds of things. And there's, there's a business going on. A historian said that one year, they chronicled 255,000 lambs were sold the week of Passover. That's a lot of lambs and that's a lot going on. The priests knew that there was a pretty penny. The priests knew there was great margin if they were to sell it closer to the Temple Mount. And so they allowed commerce and business to distract the people who were actually trying to get to God. You're nothing but leaves. It looks religious and it looks good and it looks like obedient, but it's not. It's only a distraction for what is supposed to happen here, which is the glory of my name. You've made it into all kinds of things. 
You've made it into all kinds of crazy. People are making money and there's horse poop and our, our land. I mean, there's just craziness going on. Don't you get it? Open your eyes. This place is supposed to be ascending on my name and my name only. And yet you've been distracted. Think of, good, uh, think of Black Friday before Christmas. This is what is happening inside the church house, inside the heartbeat of Israel. So what would it take for you and I to abandon God? What would it take for you and I to take all of our shift, all of our eyes and just walk away from the Lord? What Jesus is telling us in this passage, using a fig tree and the, and the temple, he says, you are closer than you think to abandoning God and to abandoning his, his purposes. We think abandoning God means to become an atheist or walk away from your faith. You can be in the center of the temple and walk away from God. That's a problem. He squares his shoulders at people that look just like us and say, you have been distracted by all kinds of crazy things. You've put your eyes on something other than the glory of God. Your heart and your mind is meant to be fixed on me and nothing else. And don't forget the lambs and the shekels. They're God's idea. He's the one who required us to come in with a sacrifice. And yet he says that has become a distraction to people's hearts. And not just the distraction to people's hearts. The people who need it the most. The people who are far from God. The Gentiles had only one place to meet. People with not one drop of Jewish blood only had one place to gather. And yet the Jewish nation had turned it into a cattle stall. Where are they to pray? The answer is nowhere. Where are they going to find solace and, 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 and solitude? Nowhere. How can God, right? I mean, how can they have union with God? They can't, and that's the point. The religious people had turned a space of a sanctuary for people who are far from God, not even a part of God's people, and turned it into commerce. And so Jesus goes ballistic. And he goes ballistic because these people, the religious people, have turned his house into something else. He says in verse 16, they, he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple because anything that you're toting can be a distraction to your purpose in life. Anything that you are toting or carrying can be a distraction to your real purpose in life. This is Jesus being really, really strong with us. And so for religious people like us, we're the religious ones, right? This, these two parables should land squarely on our shoulders and no one else. Because what Jesus is saying is, it may look good, leaf. It may be good, sacrifice. But it may not be good at all. I don't know what to do with that. So much of my life is 
around religious activity. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to instruct you on what to do with that. But I do know that how God built us is with a relationship with him only. And if anything gets in between our relationship with him, he says, I want a contrite heart. You can leave your sacrifices alone. I just want you. I want a relationship with you. The fig tree was not doing its appointed job, figs. The temple was not doing its appointed job. We have to stop the religious activities if we think that those activities is what is going to get us to God. It will not work. So whatever you're putting potentially good things in front of your relationship with God, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna last. And King Jesus, in his mercy, King Jesus is gonna walk into your life and throw over the thing that you think is the most precious or the most valuable. And there's gonna be coins flying everywhere and you will find yourself disrupted. But that's the mercy of God. All of this distraction and all of this disruption, I'm sorry, all of this disruption is a part of God's mercy to us so that we can see it and we can believe it and to say, Lord, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. There's distractions in my life. I gotta clear that stuff out. So he comes to rebuke the religious sinner. So he didn't just come to rebuke us, but he came to teach us and he says, And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. There are three fruits that you need inside your heart this morning. Number one, you need my house. First and foremost, my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all the nations. First thing, first fruit that you need is just this understanding of God's house, God's place, God's people. You need to understand it's personal to him. I mean, he's using personal pronouns. This is my house and it's his. We also need to be careful to guard those places, those holy places of worship to him. And we need to guard those places because our worship of him is so very paramount. He's asked us to gather together and he's asked us to lift the name of Jesus over and above all things, over and over and over. If the wires become a distraction, we'll get rid of them if we can't lift up the name of Jesus with them. If the stand gets in trouble or the computer gets in the way, we'll get rid of it if we can't lift up the name of Jesus. If the lights are too bright, we'll get rid of it. It's not worth it. What Jesus is saying is my house is mine because my job is to be glorified in this place to lift up his name above and over all things. And we need this weekly rhythm and we need this opportunity to be reminded of his glory. Every song we sing and every prayer we pray, hopefully every message we preach is to lift up the name of Jesus because we're forgetful folks and we need to shift our eyes back on him. This is the central motivator of our worship. King Jesus lifted up high. It's not whether the preacher's any good, whether we 
strum on a down or upbeat. It's not about the lights. It's not about the screens. It's not whether they're, you know, this service is too short or too long. The reason we gather is to lift up the name of Jesus alone. If you're here for any other reason, we pray that you ask your heart a simple question. Why am I here? If it's not for the name of Jesus, why am I here? Those who are far from Jesus, who are just kind of stepping into this, this moment, we just want to show our cards this morning. We hope that we're nice and we hope that we're hospitable we hope that we're not a distraction up here, but over and above everything, our cards are on the table. We want your heart to lift up the name of Jesus over and over and over. That's why we're here and that's why we sing. And that's what we want. When Jesus comes back for us, that's what we want to do. That's our central motivator to worship, my house. The second piece of fruit is this idea that it is a house of prayer, that my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's interesting that my house will be called a house of prayer, right? And that you called it a den. He's talking very familial, right? He's talking about homes and couches and dinner tables. I mean, he's talking in house kind of terms. This is, this is our language, Lord. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so the second piece of fruit, one, it's his house. But second, what we are to do is to pray to him. It's his house. It's not an elder's house. It's not anybody. It's his house. And we pray to him fully and completely. And we pray specifically for the nations. And that's why the court of Gentiles matters in this context. The only place that the nations, the only place that the Gentiles had to pray, the religious people had squandered them and pushed them out. My house, he says, is a house of prayer prayer for the nations. Am I glad that there are mats and chairs and instruments? Yes, I love it. Am I glad that your kids are back there at Camp Redstone? Yes, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Am I glad that we don't have to like look at those doors, right? And there's a curtain there. Yes, I love it. It's, I love it, love it, love it. However, if all that junk becomes junk, and if all that stuff becomes a distraction from our single purpose is to pray to God for others, man, shut it all down. We don't want it because the purpose, the fruit here, the fruit is to pray to God for others. This is our job. This is our heartbeat. This is what we want. This is what we want to pray over and over and over to God and for others, especially those who are far from Jesus. We're pretty pasty around here right? It's okay. We don't want to be that way. Go to ETSU. Invite every international student to you and say, you're coming to church with me. Why? Because you're welcome here. The medical center, full. I mean, just people, the, the world's coming here. Go to the nation, approach them, learn their names, pray for the nations because you know them. Go embark on a, the great commission of Jesus so that every tribe, tongue, and nation, I mean, they're here in Johnson City. And so let's go and pray for real people, real by name. Let's pray for the nations in a real way. Our job is to pray to God for others and to mobilize our hearts that we are put on planet earth to pray to God and engage others. This is the fruit of God. And lastly, lastly, that we were gonna pray for the nations 
and not be a den of robbers. A den is where I wrestle with Oliver and Alistair. A den is where I'll have NCAA tournament going. The den is where we will eat a casual meal or two. The den is where I'll be in my PJs and under an Afghan. The den is a very comfortable, comfortable place. And Jesus says, it's come, become way too comfortable. You've become way too comfortable because you've turned my house into a pajama party of thieves and robbers. That's really strong for you and I, the religious people to be thieves, to be robbers, to take something from someone else. And what are we taking? We're taking their opportunity to worship and we're taking their chance to have a quiet relationship with Jesus. This is what we're robbing of them, their chance to worship. We have become the distraction. These are hard, hard words. And we pray that somehow our hearts have been stepped on. And so as we approach the meal, we know that Jesus comes with hard words because the New Testament tells us that Jesus has become our first fruits. He is the fruit that we need. He's the first fruits that we need because he's the one who died for us and to be raised for us. This is what he has done so that we can have access to God. And so when we approach this table, we approach it with solidarity, knowing that Jesus, we're gonna fail at this. You're gonna have to come in and turn over tables. That's okay, you've done it perfectly and you continue to welcome us into this relationship. And so Jesus, as we walk toward these tables, help us, remind us of your goodness and your grace. Jesus, there's only breath in our lungs because it's a gift from you. This morning, our, he our hearts are heavy for those around us who are hurting and in pain. And so help us to do good work this morning, to clear our schedules and clear our agendas, to lift up our prayers to you for others. We ask this in your good name. So you are dismissed to take of communion at this time.